today we're talking about stories. Back when I was a kid, they had this thing, it should be up there, called Mad Libs. Uh, this, and, and, and in it, you would flip over the front cover and then it would give you some words and then a space with a word underneath. I've got one here. It says, this story unfolds blank setting. The text revolves around blank main characters. Uh, pronoun for main character is or are character trait and, and it walks you through and you in sense, in a sense, create stories. Uh, stories are captivating. There's power in a story. Even a venture capitalist, one who uh, analyzes data on businesses, ca- are, are involved in stories. Listen to this. This is Anthony Tajan. He's the CEO of a venture capital firm. He's, this is in the Harvard Business Review. In my day job as a venture capitalist, I also look for stories I connect to. In the case of the human stories behind the entrepreneurs who are looking for investors, often more important questions to ask are things such as, how did this person grow up? What were their past successes and struggles? Why is that? Why is it that they really want to pursue the big idea? What is the underlying purpose? The answers to these types of questions are what often determine whether we will back that entrepreneur or not. It's not the facts of the presentation that matter most. This is the Harvard, in the Harvard Business Review, this is a CEO of a venture capital firm that says it is the person and the way that the person shares his or her story and how it fits with our fund's objectives. And out there, I have not read this. I don't know if I will read it, but there's a book called The Power of Story by Jim Lure. And in it, he says, your story is your life. As human beings, we continually tell ourselves stories of success or failure, power or victimhood, stories that endure an hour, a day, an entire lifetime. We have stories about our work, our families, our relationships, our health, about what we want and what we are capable of achieving. Yet while our stories profoundly affect how others see us and how we see ourselves, too often, few of us even recognize that we are telling stories. And he goes on to talk about stories absolutely from a non-Christian perspective. But what he doesn't understand is there's nothing new under the sun. God's Word, honestly, there is 66 books in this Bible, but they tell one big story. I'm calling it the story. And the Apostle Creed today tells a story. It's the power of the story. It's the power of the story. As we look at the Son of God, we're going to be camping in John a little bit, but we will go other places. And what I want you to see is everybody in here has a story. Not only your entire, call it meta-narrative, right? The greater story of your life, July 9th, 1973 to 2000, what is today? May 27th, 7th? 22nd, 2016. I work for Arthur Anderson, it's okay. I can fumble numbers. That's good. Yeah, she laughed. She gets. That's the meta narrative. But each within that, this week I was telling somebody. Somebody had asked about what we were doing over the sabbatical. By the way, there's no secrets here. I've passed on to the elders our sabbatical plan. If you want it, I'm happy to email it to you. We're not going misto for three months. They know where we'll be. And so each of us has a story. And when you tell that story over and over again, it gets more familiar and you become a part of it. Every single person in this room has a story. 
all of us have been caught up, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, into the story. And so today we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and, and some there have been reactions to the Apostles' Creed. We did this last week, but by way of review, people say, what? I've never heard of the Apostles' Creed. Some people haven't. Uh, some say, no way, no, we're not doing anything. This is my creed. Remember we said this? And I would say, if you enjoy hymns, hymns tell a story. And they're only as powerful as they are in line with the scriptures. Even today, I won't have Travis do this because I didn't prepare him for it, but every song we sang told a story. If we were to go back through before the throne of God above, look at this, he is so quick. That's why he's a compass grad. If we go back to before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And then it talks about his name is graven on my hands. His name is written on my heart. I know that while in heaven he stands. You were quick on that one. And so he's walking through. This is my conversion. And Jesus is sitting in heaven, though Satan tempts me to despair. And every hymn we sing today, we could walk through the story of it. So let's not be afraid to look at the Apostles' Creed. Okay, go back, Travis, to the reactions. We're not going to say what? Now you've been introduced to it. We're not going to say no way with an exclamation point. We're going to say sure with an asterisk. We're going to talk about today. We have to deal with the issue. Did Jesus descend into hell? And so from there, I wanted to show you a summary of what this the Apostles' Creed is. It's a study of the Trinity through an early systematic theology. We don't have Grudem up here. We don't have Calvin up here. We wouldn't uh, we wouldn't say those guys are off scripturally. They Sometimes different theologies go different places, and so we have to back it by the scripture, and that's what we're doing with the Apostles' Creed. Let me just give you a big picture of the story of Jesus, and then we'll start walking through the creed. In Matthew, you are presented with Christ as king. He is the one who has come to reign. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And then in Mark, you see the servant. And so he's a servant king. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. In Luke, it is Jesus the man. That is the, that is the one gospel where you see the most emotion of Jesus. You see the most physical uh, pain and, and weariness of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. And then John as God. We have the God man servant king. And last week we began with the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in that we talked about the sovereign God who is powerful enough to run the new universe. He knows you. You're never alone. He's the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That means he made everything. That, that means he's above everything. That means he's more powerful than any person who has ever lived. And he knows you. And because of his omniscience, he knows you. Because of his omnipresence, you're never alone. And because of his omnipotence, you know that you are loved. And everything, every single thing, from headaches to broken bones to other things, He's never surprised. He's right there with you. 
And so we ended last week with enjoy God and his son. And if last week's talk is what separates us from atheists and Hindus and other Eastern religions today, we're looking at Jesus Christ. And this is what's going to separate us from Judaism, Islam, Mormonism, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus isn't just one among many gods, gods, as Ravi Zacharias said. He is the only true God, and he's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the next phrase, and we believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We believe in Jesus. We start with his name, Jesus, which means God is Savior. From Matthew one twenty one, where it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. Like he's a better Joshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what it means. He, God is Savior. It goes on in Matthew. I don't have it up there, but in 23, it says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The God who is Savior is the God who is with us. In 123, now catch this in Matthew. All books have this bookend. In Matthew, it's 123, Emmanuel, God is with us. And what were Jesus' last words before he left? Lo, I'm with you always. Bookends the entire book. Here is God the King with us. And it says, in Jesus Christ, we sang that last song, Jesus Messiah, told a story. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That in the Old Testament, there was the anointing of prophets, priests, and kings. You see in 1 Kings 19, 16, the anointing of a prophet. You see in Exodus 40, the anointing of the priest. And you see in 1 Samuel 16, the anointing of a king, that these were the ones who spoke for God. These were the ones who interceded for the people. And these were the one who ruled on earth for God. And Jesus Christ fulfills all of those. Look at Luke 4, uh, 17, where it says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled, this is Jesus, he reads Isaiah. He has the scroll, he reads it, he rolls it up. And this is what he says. And he gave it back to the attendant. He gives them scripture. And now he's going to explain the scripture. It's pretty easy easy for Jesus to explain the scripture. And all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. What's he going to say? And I love this. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, my... Whoa. You mean to say Isaiah 61... 60, 61, somewhere in there. You're telling me you're the anointed one? He says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I encourage you to go read the response to that. So Jesus is the prophet who has come. He is the one who speaks for God. He is also a priest. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Since we have a great high priest, we sing about that. 
today, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. Go to Matthew 4. Go to Luke 4. Read the encounters of of Jesus and Satan. He is there and he never sinned. Therefore, let us draw, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. He, he is not only the prophet who speaks for God, he is the priest who intercedes for us and he is the king. Acts 17, 6 and 7. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down. I love that. I loved preaching on that through the book of Acts. Let's turn the world upside down as we talk about Jesus. They have come down here also and Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. What were they saying? Saying that there is another king Jesus. He speaks for God, he intercedes for us, and he rules. He offers us liberty to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He offers us mercy, mercy and grace in the time of need. And if he's the king, we're secure. Until he comes, I'm glad we live in America, but it's not that secure. When Jesus comes, there'll be no doubt. He rules. He reigns. And I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. This has gotten a lot of debate over the years, and I show you a verse from 1 John 4, 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His, and I chose the New American Standard because I think it rightly gives us the Greek, His only begotten Son. Not just His only Son, but His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him, His monogenes. This is the unique Son of God. This is There's no other like Him. He is one of a kind. We are all called children of God. He is the Son of God. We are sons of God. He's the Son. He's the only begotten Son. That does not mean He was created. It means He has all rights to the throne and all the responsibilities that come with it. He is Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. My friends, you cannot. You may have been taught this. Bless their hearts, they were wrong. You cannot have Jesus as Savior and not have Him as Lord. If He is your Savior, He is your Lord. It is not that you are saved and then sometime you will turn over some part of your life to Him. It is you are saved and you are holy his. If you are saved, you are a disciple. There, we had to, these guys who are graduating in Compass, we're reading through, even then we're just using a particular tool to train. And we had to, in our last week, just last Thursday, I said, here's the only thing in this whole section I disagree with. The way he stated it, you can be a Christian, but not be a disciple. And I said, that is wrong. I had him scratch it out. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a disciple. Jesus is your master. He is your Lord. In fact, he's not just your Lord. Acts 10.36 says he's Lord of all. As the word that he sent 
to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And in parentheses, it's as if Luke wants you not to miss this. He is Lord of all. Believer or unbeliever, there is one master to which one day, as we'll read in Philippians next week, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They'll either do it with joy, praise, there's my king, and a smile on my face. Wow. Or it'll be another way. Abraham Kuyper said once, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And you say, where would Kuiper get such a bold statement? He got it from the scriptures. Hebrews 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. There's your only begotten. And he, here it is, he upholds the universe. Let's say, I put a note in here. Say, let that sink in. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. This is none other than the second person of the Trinity. This is, in a sense, the prequel to the story of his life on earth. John says it like this, in the beginning, same language as Genesis, was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, separate beings, and the Word was God, not was a God, was God. That's where we have to back up and go, okay, though the Bible never uses the word Trinity, we take the scriptures and with good logic and good reason say, aha, there must be three in one. Next week, we'll talk about the Godhead of the Holy Spirit, that he's part of the Godhead, the divinity of the Holy Spirit, Acts 5, 1, that you didn't lie to men, but you lied to God. Talking about the Holy Spirit, more on that next week. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos of all wisdom was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And notice, all things were made through Him, like we read in Colossians, and without Him not anything was made that was made. This is the eternal Son of God, and that Son of God would become a man. He would have a story here on earth. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. The Latin for that is incarnate, the incarnation, and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory, there's that word again, of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I did take a note. Just go back and Google before the throne of God above, and just you'll see the, see the story unfold just like that. Beloved, this is huge for us. Jesus came full of grace and truth. He didn't just come full of grace, and he didn't just come full of truth. Come full of grace, no truth, then then maybe some of our liberal friends, our polytheistic friends, and everybody says, well, all roads lead to heaven. No. He came full of grace. He's going to extend and offer grace to us, but it's full of truth. There is one God who exists, and I am not him. Mankind has sinned against God. As Solomon said There's in Ecclesiastes, there's no one who has not sinned. No one. And if you walk through 
just the armor of God, you see the belt of truth. This is the truth. And the breastplate of righteousness has been revealed that there is a holy, pure God who exists, and we have failed to follow him. It started in Genesis 3, and it will continue until Revelation 20. There will be no more sin, no more pain, no more tears. And in between there, there's this story of a prince who came from a distant country to save a people. This is the Incarnation who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is fully God. That it wasn't a human conception. It was a divine conception. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. That is Christmas. That's what we celebrate every December 25th. Not only was he fully God, he was fully man. Here's here's a wonderful way to witness to this. Somebody says, well, how did that happen? I don't know. (laughs) I just take it by faith that he's fully God and fully man. Well, is God sovereign or am I responsible? Right. He's absolutely sovereign. He knows everything. He's worked it out from beginning to end. I can give you text after text after text, and we are fully responsible. That's how it works. Who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. When it says born of the Virgin Mary... Whoever capitalized virgin there, this must have been from a Catholic background. We we wouldn't capitalize it. But the word virgin isn't used in the Old Testament where Matthew's getting this. I give you the Isaiah 7.14 from the Net Bible because they do a better job of showing the Hebrew. For this reason, the sovereign master himself will give you a confirming sign. Look at this young woman is about to conceive and you will give birth to a son. And you, and you, young woman, shall name him Emmanuel. It was talking about a young woman and the immediate answer to that, this is Isaiah 7 in Isaiah 8, get this name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I was thinking of calling Luke Maher Shalal Hashbaz, but then we're like, you know, that's a little long. We'll just go with Luke. You like that better, bud? And so that was the immediate application. That was, that was short term, but there was this long, long-term fulfillment of that. And Matthew, in Matthew 1.23, Matthew picks up, and he chose to go with the Greek Old Testament, the LXX, and he chose a word. And it says in 2 Peter 1.21, that men moved by the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. It was no prophecy of their own. And so Matthew, guided by the Holy Spirit, said, you know what? I'm going to choose this word. And it was a right word because the Hebrew word not only encumbered young woman and virgin, but other things. And so Matthew said, I want to make it crystal clear to the rest of the world that Jesus Christ would be born of the virgin. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That, my friends, is the incarnation. And then we'll now look at his crucifixion. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. I could right now turn to John 18. It's another sermon for another day. It is a wonderful chapter of the Bible on one man's wrestling, wrestling with the truth. You say you're a king? That's what they say I am. He said, I have come. He said, I, my kingdom is not of this world. So you are a king. What is truth? 
He suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's, it's the fact that not only is he fully God and fully man, this is the historical Jesus. This is not what some want to say lately of the Jesus of faith. Yeah, he was a good man. No, this is the historical Jesus. This is Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That he lived and he suffered. And, and if you're here today and you're suffering, then, then shouldn't we run to him? First and foremost in our pain, we don't run to alcohol. We don't run and escape to certain things, but we run to Jesus. Jesus understands where we are. And you have to go by faith. Because right now he sits at the right hand of God. He's with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we go by faith. Jesus, I'm in pain. I need your help. May I receive mercy in this time of need. Even the Jewish Talmud, said that there was this false prophet leading people away and he suffered for it. It is vindicated in extra-biblical text that this man whom we read about in the Gospels lived and died and suffered. And it said he was died and he was buried. This is the atonement. was crucified and dead and buried. This is the atonement. That only we should pay for our sins. Only God can do it. And so only Jesus was the one who fulfilled it. The atonement that our sins are covered forever wiped out. And I have people sometimes say, but what about my... No, it's gone. Psalm 103, as far as the east from the west, he doesn't forget. God can't forget, but he separates. You're separate from your sin. It is paid in full. Martin Luther, we're here today and not in a Catholic church. More on that next week because of Martin Luther. He stood up for the justification. Somebody has written, I think it's one of the greatest quotes ever, that Luther did the most gangster move in the history of the church. When he stood there and he said, on these scriptures, here I stand and I shall do no more. Talked about justification and what he, and what was encompassed in that was this atonement. It's done. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And should you be here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you come to him and your sins are paid for. Now, where you go from here, I think the true Christian church would say, you're going to be like Jesus. You will, you will suffer. There will be, but there will be joy in your life and peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. We don't say, come to Jesus, and then your bank account's full. You'll never get sick again. That's hogwash. That's a lie. That's a scheme of the devil. But the atonement says, it's done. If you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're struggling with a particular sin, may I encourage you, not struggle no longer. If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We There's no sin that is so great we can't overcome it because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. He was dead and he was buried. And then we come to, he descended into hell. That's what it says. And there are two ways to take this. That's either not what it, that's either wrong or it's either right. Those who say, no, 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 no. There's no way that Jesus could have descended into hell. That's just too awkward. God can't be in the presence of evil. I would say, read the book of Job. Satan came to God. 
Remember that? Job, Satan came to God. So hold that in your head. Here's what they would say in Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. This doesn't mean hell. In fact, some people, when they do the Apostles' Creed, say the lower parts because of this verse, these verses. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Now I'd say, even to those who would defend Jesus not going to hell because of the verse, I'd say far above all the heavens means, well, if he, did, if he ascended far above all the heavens, then his descent need not stop at the earth and go far below the lower regions. Read it in context. But there's a better verse, 1 Peter 3, 18 and 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison, because they formerly did not obey. Well, who are they and who didn't obey? Peter, the good expositor, tells you. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, whoa, Little Old Testament, New Testament combo there. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. You would go back into Genesis 6. There were these these sons of God that went into the daughters of men and it wasn't a pretty sight. But there's even a better verse. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels, Genesis 6, 1 Peter when they sinned, that is, they did not obey, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. There's no chance for them because they knew what they were doing and they went against God. These are, And so when it says he descended into hell, uh, some say, oh yeah, he descended into hell, quote, so he could suffer and complete his suffering. But that doesn't fit, fit with It is finished. He said that on the cross. It is finished. And so when he gave up his life, it was done. No more suffering. He didn't go to hell to suffer. But he went to proclaim. Now, remember, this is a creed made by man. So you don't have to hold to he descended into hell. If you don't want to hold to that, that's cool. But there seems to be some verses that back up what those who put this together. And so you have the crucifixion. But better than the crucifixion. Not better the other part, the other half of the coin, right? We, he had to pay for sins, but if he doesn't rise from the dead, my faith is in vain. We have the resurrection. The third day he rose again. If you want to read that, just read the last chapter of all the Gospels. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24. Not the last chapter. John, John goes into a little post-resurrection work. John 20 and 1 Corinthians 15. Because if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, I'm a fool. And you're fools. I just called you fool. But I would, if he didn't rise from the dead, I'm a fool. I'm doing something that is worthless. I'm taking an old book and I'm talking to you about a man you've never seen and you're fools for going, amen, pastor, because I'm hearing a bunch of amens today. Amen, pastor. You're fools for believing that. But Peter says, though we have not seen him, we believe in him. No, we do not see him now. We rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. And we're going to make it to the end and we will see him face to face. He rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. Read Luke 24 and Acts 1, the the ascension. And he is seated at the right hand 
of the Father Almighty. We even sang about this for more, this morning. I, there were so many things that Garrett chose. I was just like, oh, I want to use that in my sermon. But I didn't know what songs he was choosing. Next week I will. He is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. Well, what's he doing? He has two things. He has his present responsibilities that he, as we've already talked about, he's upholding the universe by the word of his power. I have a heartbeat and I'm speaking. I have not gone mute only because Jesus is in control. Amen? That I could, if I went mute right now, you would say, yeah, Hebrews 1, 3, there's our pastor. He always preaches on this, that Jesus, if I were to die and have a heart attack right now, it's because Jesus said by his word, it's time for him to come see me. That would be a sad day, I know, for all y'all, but it would be a great, better, far greater to be with him, Philippians 1. But you know what else he's doing? Luke twenty two thirty two. when he was on earth, this is what he said to Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. On earth, to Peter, Jesus said, I've prayed for you. This is Peter who said, no, I'll never deny you. I've prayed for you. And when you have turned, that phrase caught me this week. When you have turned again, meaning I know you're going to fail me. I have prayed that when you have turned again, I know you failed me in the past, Peter. Remember back, he didn't go into detail here, but he could have gone back right after he claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, he, he said, no, I'll go with you. And Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking as, a, as, me, as one should. You're thinking as a man. So when you have turned again, I love Peter because he just, he's, he completely, not completely, he's, he's just always messing up and run into Jesus. And that, I seem like, I, that's what I'm always doing, is messing up, running into Jesus. I love Peter. He and I are going to have a great talk in heaven. He's like, dude, tell me about, never mind. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That is a powerful, I have prayed for you. I didn't pray to take you out of the situation. I prayed to get you through the situation so that when you come through it, having repented, And having turned back, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You can strengthen your brothers. And this one who was a wild cat became a cool cat and gives us first and second Peter. That's when Jesus was on earth. What's he doing now? Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That should be the next verse. Hebrews 7, 25. He always lives to make intercession for them. Wow. You mean to tell me that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, waiting for God to send him back, and the accuser comes to say negative things about who you are, and Jesus says, no, he's mine. And so he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, from that point, from that position, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. 
He came with grace and truth. He's called faithful and truth. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is, oh, looks like John 1 there, the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. There's God Almighty from last week. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if you're going to get a tattoo, it's got to be on your thigh, and it's got to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's called a joke. You can laugh. I have nothing against tattoos. I'm just, some people camp on that. Ah, he's got some ribbon on his thigh. Well, it could be on the pant leg of whatever he's wearing. We don't know. We will know. Amen? We will know. <laughs> That's awesome. Jesus Christ is the eternal, incarnate, crucified king. You put all the, he's eternal and incarnate. He is pre, this is the prequel. Like we, we follow the stories of Star Wars long ago in a galaxy far, far away. That was not the first. The first is he preexisted and then he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead and buried. He was raised from the dead. He sits at God's hand and he's coming back. He's eternal. He's incarnate. He was crucified. Kings aren't crucified. This king was and he rose from the grave and he rules. Jesus, think about this, was a person with a purpose and a position and the power. We're to be conformed to the image of Christ. We, we like Jesus, have a story. We are people with a purpose and a position and the power. I, I just picked five things from this week to talk about stories and how your story and my story should fit in the bigger story. Went out to the Four Eagle Ranch this week to the Vales Pastors Network. And it was one of the best ones I've attended because there was a lot less talk about what we were doing and more just talking about who the pastors were and you got to know these men a little better. You learned about their stories and how their story fits within the bigger story. You learned about their daughters going off to college and they poured into these young women who are now believers going off to college and they were talking about the navigators and and uh, FCA at different colleges. How their Christian daughters are going off and I thought to myself, I have six years. Whoa! Last week in speaking with somebody right after church, I, I missed, I was, I was, those of you who know me, I'm a, I'm a fact gatherer. Give me the facts. Bullet points. And I was gathering facts, but I failed to ask why and hear more of the story behind what was happening. I played golf Friday with a guy named Ed Lewandowski. He was telling me about his story. He said, in Chicago, if you're to flip, like you flip open the phone book in, in Eagle Valley for Lewandowski, there are 
three, four of them. Ed, Becca, and the two kids. You go to Chicago, it's like Jones or Smith. There's a story there. Thursday at a lunch with Matt Hansen, who will be here in August. And just you, you, you should, maybe he'll share some of his story with you and how he came to, was living in Gypsum, came to Eagle Bible Church and he was the, he was overseeing a golf course in Gypsum and I went out to play with him one day and he just said, Hey man, I'm looking to learn more about leadership. And we got to know one another and talk and he eventually started coming to Eagle Bible Church and then he was working for a golf course. And then one day he said, Hey, I was out of town on vacation. He, I said, why don't you teach the men's study? I said, teach on God's sovereignty. He said, okay. And he taught on God's sovereignty. And that day he was let go of his job <laughs> to which he, he called me. He's like, you'll never, never believe this. Tell me, man. Well, you asked me to teach on God's sovereignty and I did. And I just got let go. God's sovereign to which he worked then for Ben Daly for a little bit. Now he's moving up with Alpine Bank. And so I've watched his story unfold and his growth in grace and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or a lady I know who's done 40 days of yoga. And she said how wonderful that's been in her story and all the insights that she's gotten. And your heart breaks. Not anti-yoga. Don't hear that. I'm just, her story is not in the story. She hasn't got caught up in the greater story. She's still like Laura and all these people talking, trying to figure out her story apart from the story. And so my encouragement to you today is know the story beginning to end and all things in between. And my greatest challenge to us, including myself, is this, and I, it comes from a conviction of what we studied in Sunday school. Folks, now more than ever, we need to share our story. We don't have to go, just share your life, your life story, and how it fits within the greater story. And we need to do so with boldness and with clarity. Because we live in an age that is changing right before our eyes. We can't even agree on the multiplication table anymore. Two plus two is four. Two times two, I don't know. Maybe four depends on what I identify with that day. But we need to speak boldly. Hey, this is my story. I once was lost. I was doing my own thing, living my own life, going my own way, trying to create my own story apart from Jesus. And then Jesus got a hold of me. And He's never let go of me. And it's not been perfect since then. But I guarantee you now, through all that I've gone through, the death of a father, the marriage to a wonderful woman, three kids, a wonderful church, all of that fits within a greater story. And we could go around and we could literally, it's 1122. I know some of you are like, land the plane, bro. Guys that are preaching, we're, we're due. We're on the final descent. We're coming down. Okay? That's what we're doing. Risky right here. I mean, we're, we see the runway. We're almost there. <laughs> but I could put a mic up here. Maybe we should, maybe we should do this in Sunday school. We've got to continue to proclaim the word every week. Maybe we should do this in Sunday school. Put a mic up here at each and every one of you. 
could walk up here and, and you could go from birth date to today's date and you could share your story. And there I would have to go invest in Kleenexes. Oh, be weeping. It's just, it's just me. But each and every one of you would be sharing your story and how it fits within the greater story. Do you know that? Do you see that? Take it to the world boldly. Paul said, Pray for me that I, that I may speak the word boldly as I ought. And in another verse, pray that I may speak it clearly as I ought. It's not a suggestion. It's not one of those, yeah, I may, I may share my faith in the lifetime. I don't, boldly and clearly, it's not a suggestion. Let's go and share our story and show how it fits within the bigger story and watch God do wonderful things. Father, It's good to call you Father. Thank you for your grace. Thank you how you've put together so many different stories. It's a tapestry of your beauty. It's a tapestry of your love. It's a tapestry of your grace to your glory. I pray these things in your Son's name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.